0: Welcome back to Keeping Track. We have two great episodes for you. For anyone who was missing Alicia the last few weeks, she went to the running event in Austin last week and did work for us. She got two great interviews, the first of which we have here with Alexi Pappas, Olympian, director, author, and good friend of our podcast. This was a brilliant interview. I really loved what these two women talked about. And so I will turn it over to Alicia. Thanks for keeping track.
1: Okay. Hello. Welcome to Keeping Track, a women's sports podcast made to elevate stories of women in sport. For a little bit of background, on average, nationwide, women's sports receives just 4% of the sports media coverage. That means it would take an entire childhood for girls and boys to see the same amount of sports media coverage for women that they will see for men in just one year. So I'm Alicia Montano. I'm here at the TRE Run event. And on behalf of my co-hosts, Roisin McGedigan and Molly Huddle, I'd like to welcome Alexi Pappas. I am so happy
0: to be here. and. <laughs> You know what the best part about this is, is that I have done some podcasts in the last year and I have not had the privilege of being in person with not just my host here, but also this whole group of people in front of us, which anyone listening, there's about a thousand people in front of us
1: listening to these answers. And so I'm a little nervous. It's normal to be nervous, but you know how to handle that. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um. So I'm also very grateful to be able to be here with you and spend some time with you with Ultra. We are officially teammates. I know. And, and this I'm is so excited dream. to have a powerful woman in voice and that's making an impact on the run world. So I want to get into like a little bit of your background because you're more than just a runner. And I think that that's what's so powerful about having you here in front of me because I like to also share um, all these stories that make us multi-hyphenated people and nuanced. Um, that gives people a little bit more relatability and a dive into our world. So, let's start with your background. Like, you are from? I'm from
0: the Bay Area, where you live. I was born <laughs> at the same hospital that your children were born at, Alta Bates. We in might have Berkeley. connected a little bit about that. That's right. Yep. <laughs> and I feel like um, growing up there was um, like a, a wonderful uh, mix of like urban and also like trail exposure. And it got me just interested enough in running, but not too inundated that I didn't have more to explore as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess what I mean by that is when I got to high school, I had many interests. I had soccer, theater, Mm -hmm. you know, many of the same interests you had. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had coaches in the running world who were not thrilled that I had more than one interest at that time. Mm -hmm. And this was before social media. It was before, like you could have a voice outside of like the small bubble of your high school. And I went to a pretty small school in Oakland, and I actually was kicked off my running team. Wow, twice. Wow, because I didn't feel comfortable as a 16-year-old quitting theater, soccer, student government, and all the doing other doing all the things, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't run junior and senior year of high school, and I then started running at Dartmouth, and I was the worst on my team because I had taken a two-year gap and had played soccer, and so I was kind of in this meaty defender Mm -hmm. shape, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite fit enough to run, like, even four miles without being exhausted. And then just slowly worked my way up with the goal of scoring a team point. Like, I,
1: I love teams. You had a goal of scoring a team point at Dartmouth, but you did more than that.
0: I did eventually, yeah. but I didn't score that team point until I was a junior. Right, and I feel like that's important to share because so many people that I hear from on social media are like, "When, when am I going to matter on my team?" And I'm like, "Look, it, it's it's you want. Of course, we want to matter in the ways we want to matter, which is like often a scoring a team point or being a national champion or whatever you want. Yeah. But until that point, we have to find ways to matter." um beyond performance right and so I showed up for my team as like a kind of supportive mascot even when I wasn't like on the traveling squad uh and then I did eventually become third in the country in the yes. steeplechase <laughs> yes I love that I
1: love that third in the country in the steeplechase yeah then after that you know you also are how many times all-american
0: Oh my goodness, it's not a... It's too many times. No, like five, I think five. That's a lot of times. Okay, (laughs) like
1: Humble, McHumbleson. that's a lot of times to be an All-American, just so you guys know. Um, And then from there, you also were able to be... reach the pinnacle of sport. Yes. As an Olympian. But in between that, I want to talk about something that I think is so important, and you kind of already touched on this, is like the permission that you gave yourself to be more than just a runner. You know, and I think like that is what I really want to just connect about is because the same here for me i feel like i have also been in this box of like you know when people meet you they think that you just do the run thing don't you and you're like of all these other interests you're creative you know when people think of you they think of you know eclectic bright fun i got like sunshine when they were thinking of you and i'm asking questions about that you know and just you give people so much permission to like be brave you've got your bravies so like can you tell us about these in-between points of you Yeah. Recognizing that, you know, it doesn't it's not a day for you to kind of see what your how you can be great, um, however that turns up. And then also, you know, how you were able to hold on to more than one passion. And then you turned the stepping stones, those stepping stones of big goals into very real, tangible things that you get to share with people.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So I think the first thing to understand that we all know about our sport of running is that we can't do it 24 hours a day. Right. And if we did, if we even thought about it 24 hours a day, it would probably start to have like a diminishing effect. And so That's I think fine. for me, part of it was like needing to end practice and go somewhere else and then intentionally come back to practice. Mm-hmm. And I think. For all of us, like that could mean having a hobby gardening, it could mean anything. And for me, it happened to be writing and performing um, in the arts. And I think the other thing is that running is as mental as it is physical, right? And so um, I wanted to feel like I was thriving as a person and know that um, when those hard moments would come in a race, the way that you push through those hard moments isn't to furrow your brow and be like super, I mean, maybe for some people, but for me, it was more seeing my situation as like a place of abundance where like my whole Mm. person is blooming and, Mm. and I can get up this hill in this cross country race because like my life is opening up. And I think that means embracing our multifaceted self. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just felt like, this was the only way for me to be my most realized self, and that that was going to make me the best athlete as well. You know, it wasn't one instead of the other.
1: Yeah, wow. And, you know, that's hard for a lot of runners specifically to come to grips with because I do think there's a lot of runners that have different interests, but they're always told, like you said, you were kicked off your running team. They always told, like, you're not being serious enough about running if you want to do other things. So, like, how do you also... I know if you can talk to like a younger runner who's yes. coming into the sport also wants to be great at running but also, you know, has passions that can go far beyond what they've ever expected or dreamed of. How do you encourage them to kind of like touch both when somebody's maybe discouraging them from pushing on with both passions or maybe not even both, maybe, you know, m- multiple passions. You know the mm-hmm. quote is uh Jack of all trades master of none, but it's, right. there's a full quote though. It's Jack of all trades, master of none, but a master of one is better than a master of none.
0: Ah, okay. I love that you pulled that out. It's a good one. And okay, so I think the first advice is like directly to this fictitious real person that we're speaking to who I can see right in front of us. She, I've decided, is at a crossroads in her life where she feels pulled between this passion in her heart to do something and then the voices whether they're in her head of like I should the shoulds um or a real voice that we're talking mm-hmm. about that's telling her to just do one thing um and I think that the first advice is like directly to her um and saying that like if if we if we don't answer to our our full selves we will never like like the truth will bear itself like if we mm. really feel compelled to do something it it will um manifest somehow in in a way and so i just i i felt very torn in the way that our fictitious person did because i mm. felt like a bad kid mm-hmm. by not wanting to just do one thing um and i think it took finding um you know this is some advice actually from Jenny Simpson she said that she didn't this was after the New York City Marathon. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, she was like, Pappas. Like, and she like appreciated the performance I had, which was out of the box a little bit in New York. Um, and she said, I was like, I really appreciate you saying that to me. She encouraged me. And I was, she was like, don't care what I think about you. Pick five people in your life and care what they think about you and then don't care about the rest. And I mm-hmm. thought that that was really nice wisdom to give our fictitious person because she didn't say don't care about what anyone thinks. She just said, find the people that speak to you as like a mentor, mm-hmm. even if they're people you don't know. Mm-hmm. Like if you pretend that someone you look up to is someone whose opinion matters to you, you can pretend that what you're doing, you can assume that they approve, like that they're, they're, they're on your team. And so right. if you don't have a coach or a person encouraging you to pursue your whole multifaceted life, yeah. pretend that these satellite mentors are there and they are filling that um, like encouragement teammate void yeah. that you might have. And yeah. so I think the imagination is a really good resource for us during these times. And you've had experiences
1: like this too, and not to turn the tables, but right. what is this? Do you know what I mean? Like what yes, have you done during absolutely. these moments in yeah, your life? Totally. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, you are definitely onto something when you're about being, you know, all fulfilling all these parts of you. Because our brain is super intricate, the human brain is, and it isn't one dimensional, you know. For me, you know, having my children and also having an athletic career and also tapping into creativity and also, like there's a lot and you're lots of and, 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 and. You know, this life is so very short. So I really, really appreciate you just giving, honestly me, permission to continue to do more of the things that I dreamed of doing and not having it die with one dream fulfilled. Um, speaking of that, you yeah. fulfilled a really big dream, making films. You made a film that I got to cameo in. No yes. big deal. Tell us what it's called.
0: This movie is called Track Town. It was my first indie film. And this was, I'm going to say that it meant so much to me when you took the time. Okay. So we were filming for Track Town. Um, this is a small indie film and there was a race scene and we wanted it to feel like the Olympic trials but we could not afford to fill Hayward Field with thousands of people. And so we filmed um, like the race scenes really up close. And for the crowd shots, we uh, had permission from the running gods to sneak into the Peyton Jordan meet and film the crowds as if they were the real Olympic trials. And you were racing in this or pre. It was pre-classic. Yeah, it was pre. Yeah. Okay, it was pre, it not classic. Sorry. Sorry, we were in Hayward I'm gonna, Field.
1: I'm going to go um, ahead and concur.
0: And you were racing, and I wanted cameos of runners that I admired in the movie. And even though you were racing and your head was focused on your race, you took the time to have a cameo in my movie, and it meant so much to me because I was a little, sprightly, hopeful girl. And um, to have like a peer in the running world who I admired take the time to support my artistic career meant so much to me so like that was my first like real interaction with you in person and i just want to thank you and i'm glad that we're now teammates
1: i love this so much because you're making me gush over here but this podcast is about you so I I'm feel like you keep, keep, keep flipping doing the tables I'm on keep me, doing everyone. This to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, we're so like honestly, I'm so grateful that we're teammates. Me too. So this is awesome. There's um, so many cool things. <laughs> uh, Segway. Uh, <laughs> so okay, the filmmaking ladder. You climbed that one. You created a film. You know, had a wonderful actress in there for about one second. So good. She's best ever. If you guys want my autograph, um, anyway. Sorry, what? Um, but then you also. Came back to the run world, not even back, you didn't leave it, and you made the Olympic team. Yes. Which That's huge. Was, I'm sorry. You made a you made a film, a full length film, and you also made the Olympic team. Those are two really big goals that don't necessarily always we don't always see those those lanes converge around the same time. You didn't like end one to start another one. You kinda did them simultaneously.
0: Yeah, and I okay, it's it was a mindset of seeing them as things that supported one another. Mm. And I think Here is the next lesson for our fictitious girl. She's right in front of us, which is that we have a choice to see um, decisions we make Mm -hmm. as either sacrifices or choices. Mm. Okay, so like you could think, uh, I have to stay home on a Friday night and not go to these parties. I'm thinking she's a college girl, right? So she's (laughs) not going to the parties because she is sleeping for her big race um and she could see that as like a sacrifice like i'm missing things i'm missing things or she could see it as a choice which feels like a more optimistic proactive empowered way to see her decisions mm. and what i tried to see my time and how i continue to try to see my time is as i'm making choices because yeah. sacrifice words are so important the words that we feed ourselves are just as important as the food that we put in our bodies and i think for me it was flipping the switch from i'm sacrificing this for this to like i'm choosing this and i'm choosing this um and uh and that made like the cells in my body feel like this was an abundant um choice and and it was just inherently in my favor and it was as if the universe was in my favor and it was like i couldn't I couldn't lose in that case. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that paired with understanding how to organize your actual life. Like right. we're, we're guiding this fictitious person and we're like, know your priorities in any given day. Yeah. So like during that time, my time went to running first, meaning I wasn't gonna pull all nighters to edit track down. That was gonna be my partner and my husband because my, my priority list was athlete and I needed to sleep. There were things that you can't, miss out on right Right. and i'm sure you can relate how even though you have probably five major commitments in your life including family you know where the descending order list falls on priorities and that helps you make the decisions about what you actually put your time into every day right so it's like it is a little bit it's like people think you're doing all these things at once you're just very deliberate about when you're doing what you're doing absolutely
1: yep yeah, you're creating like a mental checklist and you kind of know they can only fit this much into yeah. this bubble. Um, and these are the prior prioritized ones. And there's going to be other things that are going to come through, but those ones can't infiltrate that circle because I don't have the space for it. And yeah. it seems like that's how you balance things and you avoid burnout, I'm guessing, in some ways. I feel like I'm planting that in, in there. But like, do you feel burnout at any moment in time with all of the wonderful things that you're doing, including something I want to touch on, your book that you wrote, Bravey?
0: So I have learned the hard way about burnout, as we all do, mm-hmm. um, which is that it is. I, I wish that somebody told me when I was the fictitious girl standing before us um, that at the end of any major life peak, whether it's like adding someone new to your family, competing in the Olympics, fe- you know, creating a feature film, whatever it is there's going to be a time afterwards when we need to like replenish almost like I imagine like a marshmallow when you squeeze it and you let it go, it can like reinflate. But if you don't give it that time, it can't. And I wasn't really like sat down after the Olympics and been like, you have to pause and not just physically, but mentally. Mm -hmm. And I didn't pause and I learned the hard way. And that led to a post Olympic depression. That I am um, got healthy from and got help with, but I feel could have been um, avoided or minimized if I had simply recognized that no matter what, after a big peak in our life, we should expect a period of like adrenal recovery, and that it's not a, it's a natural thing because we put everything into this singular goal and probably haven't thought past it and the one question that i wish that interviewers would avoid or choose a different question after post-race interviews and i know there's some elite athletes here in the audience but i feel that we're always asked the question right after a peak what's next and i think it's a question that it would be nice if we were asked like Two weeks after a big race, instead of the minute you cross the finish line, what's next? Because then immediately our fight or flight response goes into like, I need to know what's
1: next. I need to know yesterday. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do, are you asked that question after yeah. races? And it's it's interesting that you're kind of putting a finger on it because I, I think a lot of us have expressed either, you know, publicly or privately that we have all suffered from Olymp- like post Olympic depression. It is a very yeah. low low after a really big high. No matter how and, well and you and do no it. Matter- right, and nobody right? understands it's like you went to the Olympics and it's like, wow, actually. It's 'cause and also I think there's that space of like expectation for you to never like, you know, not make another team again or like run slow ever again and it's like this you know, like when they ask you what's next, it's like, Oh well, people are expecting more from me, like right now. Yeah. But if I can't give them that again, all of a sudden you're like spiraling into you know, how do I top this?
0: Yes. And okay, I was very proud because I ran the New York City Marathon. And for the first time in my life, I responded <laughs> better after the race, which was that I, um, my response was that I am not talking or planning what's next. I'm trying to enjoy what I just did. And that that was the focus of the two weeks following the New York City Marathon was like relishing what I'd just done. And relishing is, a practice that I've tried to incorporate into my routine mm. more consciously and I think mm. we are so easy to be really hard on ourselves or want to know what's next and relishing to me is like the active participation in celebrating or or like simmering in like think about like a marinating meat <laughs> of what you just did that's what relishing is yeah
1: so I, yeah I love that I love that you're giving us a lot of permission I'm going to keep yeah. using that word with you because I think that's that's like you you know you're like really just pushing through all of these boundaries that is like allowing for people to be like relate to you and also see themselves in a different way the run community they're very hard on themselves in general you know everyone's coming out maybe to pr maybe to finish a race maybe to like you know prove that they can you know be somebody who they never thought that they could be or whatever it is or something that's fueling us to like put one foot in in front of the other every day but i think That point about relishing is really huge because I think there's this whole idea about ego and like, you know, not being your own. We say be your own cheerleader, but when you're pumping yourself up, you're cocky or you're I also think it's that's just powerful to call it like relishing. No, I'm just relishing in my greatness right now. Like, (laughs) girl, give me a minute.
0: And do it every day. (laughs) I love that. You can do it every day. Okay, I'm going to do it every day. But you have to like be like, I'm relishing now. And like you can put on your favorite music and you kind of like. Let yourself be, like, actively proud yeah. or, or, like, replay good things. Yes. And we don't do it enough. We, yes, like, really we don't. don't.
1: So you talked about words and how important words are. That's part of this relishing part of it. Uh, you, If you follow uh, Lexi uh, to our listeners, if you follow Lexi Pappas on Instagram, um, a lot of your posts are very, you know... They're for both. Yes, they're very verbose. <laughs> no, but they're also like, you know, they're like poems and like they give you a lot of insight and there's also a lot to pick apart in it. That's also like, what does that piece mean to me the way that you've expressed it? Um, and then, you know, you call everyone brave as You always are giving, again, everyone permission. But in writing your book, it's several essays. Your book is bravy and there's yes. several essays within it where you're sharing piece, your entire life, basically. Uh, no, not basically. You're sharing your entire life. Um, and those words really dive through straight to the heart. How many pages is this book?
0: Oh, I don't even okay. know. It's like about 200. Hundreds. Yeah, there's hundreds, hundreds of pages.
1: But they, <laughs> you dive into and you plunge into it. And it's so easy to be wrapped up in, be in your world. But also like put yourself, at least me as a reader, into your world in a way where I'm like, oh my gosh, I, can, I see that. Even if it's not even me relating to it, but like I see me with you in that. You're so good with that. You're amazing with it. And I want to know, like, if when you're talking about words, how do you um, coach people through their mental block of their words? Yes. You know, sometimes your words, even the words that you are saying are powerful. Like, sometimes your words can, like, remind you of really painful things. And I'm bringing this up because you are a huge advocate for mental health. And so, like, if somebody's trying to dive into a space where they're like, okay, I'm going to use those words that are powerful to me, but it's also going to bring up very painful and hard parts of me that maybe I hide from the rest of the world, like, how do you help someone who's now diving into writing to get through and, like, give themselves permission to be, you know, who they truly are? How do you give them permission to also feel the hard things?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, it's a lot to unpack what you just said, which is... I'm just gonna start by saying I have a a fascination with words because I think, I know that our situation might be super objective and and we can't change what's happened to us like on paper, but we can change how we see what's Mm -hmm. happened to us and we can actually rewrite like what has happened to us to be a different kind of narrative by choosing different words. And one of, some of the most profound shifts in my life have been like instantaneous vocabulary shifts that I wanted to try to give people in this book so that they don't have to like go through the whole like hard journey to like make certain switches. And, you know, one of those examples, there's a number, but like one was the um, moment. That when I was sick with like in post Olympic mental health injury, I didn't understand that the brain is a body part and that it could get injured just like any other body part. And when my um, the person, you know, my doctor helped me understand, he just was like, Lex, you're injured. It's like when you're rollerblading and you fell down, it's like you have a scratch on your knee, but you have a scratch on your brain and it can heal. And that vocabulary shift. Was so epiphanal to me because I was like, oh, I'm just injured. I know how to deal with an injury. I'm an athlete. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to do actions that are going to solve it. I'm not going to expect it to heal overnight. I'm not going to feel shame. Like all the things I apply to an actual injury. And so, what I'm talking about with this book is that the book was not meant to be a diary written for me, it was meant to be a memoir that communicated to other people. And so, the words I chose very carefully. And um, and it took me a long time to labor over them because I wanted it to communicate so badly what I hoped people would understand so that they didn't have to go through some of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, you, you shared a post. So we're talking about, you know, the scratch on a, a brain. Right. Yeah. So you did experience like mental uh, injury. Yeah. But you also experienced a very physical injury recently. And you shared a post on Instagram that was basically the quote that we pulled out of it that is just so powerful to me was denying pain is a form of abuse. Your words, I'm just saying, like they really go straight to the heart. Can you just like tell us more about that? Obviously, there's a whole post that you can also look at. But like coming from you. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Okay, so.
0: I feel and this is a pattern I've noticed among our elite athlete peers that we are very good at uh, trying to communicate what we feel in our body um, to the people who are supposed to guide and help us. So like we will bring to a physio or a coach like my like the hip feels X, Y or Z. Um, But what I've found is that so often once you're an Olympian, Nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news and use the word injury with an Olympian. And it is so strange because I experienced this, but I've also seen a lot of my peers where um, they'll experience something and try to use the word pain, whether it's mental health pain or physical pain. It's all one word to me. And the word will not be taken seriously at face value without an MRI. And the problem is with a mental health challenge, uh, injury, or um, anything going on in the body, there's not always an MRI to prove it. And therefore, we will then convince ourselves that what we're feeling is not really pain. It's weakness. It's in our head. It's this, that, or the other. And I experienced that. um, And I think what I wrote in that post really meant that I hope that, you know, and when when you look at the, the Naomi Osaka, like the things that have been going on with other sports, they, um, got a lot of criticism for saying that they were putting themselves in a compromising position of being in pain. And I wish that the words that they used were taken at face value. So if we use the word pain, like bad pain, I don't mean the pain of pushing up a hill during a race, that's good pain. But if we use the word pain, I would like for us to start embracing it ourselves first and foremost, but also the community and take it at face value without the need for an MRI to prove X, Y, or Z, because we are tough enough on mm-hmm. ourselves. And if we're using that word, it is real. And if we use it and people don't take it seriously, mm-hmm. it will lose its potency to us and the world and we will hurt ourselves, you uh, know? Does that, does, yeah. have you seen people? I mean, yeah, I've Yeah, they're denying people, your,
1: your words and like your truth and you're like, this is true. And you have to prove that you're true when you're already in pain. And And then then you start to deny it yourself. Yes. And and,
0: and you've seen, you've seen, right. You've had teammates who literally will have an injury, whether it's mental or physical, like, six months before an Olympic trials yeah. and if they had just accepted what it was then they could have taken care of it and towed the line for the Olympic trials made the team. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, instead right. they're convinced that it's just a weird hip, yeah. or it's just a, it's just a weak hip. And it's like, yeah. if you just, or it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you just take care of it or accept what it is. Yeah. Then you can, then you can, um, shift your focus from fitness health yeah and i think that's a major thing for us to point out to our our mentee here she's she's sitting here listening to us and she's like oh she's having an epiphany right now Mm -hmm. about what is my goal right now and it's okay if in any given moment it's fitness but when we realize we're injured in any way, let's shift it to health immediately, take care of it and get back to fitness.
1: Yes. I, I seriously just I got. Yes. yes. You know, that's why. Well, you heard her. You heard her. You heard you her. her. I felt like I was going to stand right in front of you and be like, yes, that. Um, so you listen to your body for the first time. Yeah. It seems like you're in the space of like listening to your brain for the first time, listening yeah. to your body for the first time yeah. and like having a true self transformation Um, and then. After choosing surgery to fix your injury. Yes. Good job. I had to. Very proud of you. Because I
0: denied it for so many years. Yeah, I'm proud of you. It's hard. It's hard to make that decision.
1: Um, Then you came back and you you towed the line to run the New York Marathon. I want to hear about that experience. Because it was a very different experience. And I think that it'd be so great. And I don't know if you guys watched the New York Marathon. But Alexi was wonderful. She ran with a a wonderful partner. But I actually want you to be able to tell us the story about... beginning to end front to back
0: okay i will try not to make it a saga okay so i was signed up for the new york city marathon probably like nine months ago and we weren't sure how recovery from this very necessary very successful surgery would be and my recovery was excellent but i was heavily advised to not there's a huge difference with elite runners pushing to race versus running and i think with any runner like you know the difference when you race, like you leave everything out there and you are mind, body, and soul out there. And it is not always safe to do that. And where I was at was like, I need a, two more months. Like I cannot be pushing at that level. And so I expressed to the marathon who I love. I love all the, I love this marathon. I was like, I want to be there, but I can't like go race, race just yet. And, uh, and what can I do? And they're like, we still want you on the elite start line, but you can run you're the pace that's safe for you and that was a really really interesting position to be in because um the men elite athletes start at the front of the rest of the new york city marathon so it'll be male elites and then everybody who's running the new york city marathon so like when meb kafleski ran the new york city marathon like this he he like jogged one year he kind of floated back and ran with the people and they were like you can do that But the elite women start 30 minutes before all the elite um, men and all the other racers. And so if I was going to go my own pace, I would be alone running on the streets of New York with thousands of people around me. And that is an extremely vulnerable position for an Olympian and elite athlete to be in. And so often I know people would not toe the line and do that because they don't want to clock a time that isn't their um pr potential right um but i talked to some mentors and they were like how could you not ha- take the opportunity to run through the streets of new york and celebrate your health mm-hmm. even if you are not celebrating your optimized fitness mm-hmm. how can you not do that and i was like oh my gosh I'm go- I, of course I'm going to do this. This is a rare, it's going to be like the Truman show. Like it's going to be so, <laughs> why, like, what is this going to, like, I. it's going to feel like I, I'm in a dream. Like I'm going to do this. And so I hired a makeup designer the night before and he, there was this like adorable Greek um, makeup designer came and he did a star on my face and glitter. And that was for me to remind myself that this was a celebration mm. and a joyous thing. And also to show the people around that I wasn't like, There wasn't a problem Mm -hmm. that I was off behind because people knew who I was. And I was like, if the star will indicate that I am doing this with purpose. And so the gun goes off and I tried to pull back, but it's very difficult to not race. So I tagged (laughs) onto the back of the elite pack and quickly knew that it was too fast to be smart for what I was advised to do, Mm -hmm. but too slow to be like, competitive with what I might expect of myself and I was like what do I do it's so it's so hard to slow yourself down Mm -hmm. like it's not like a car I don't know it's just very hard to slow yourself down when people are cheering and everything and then I saw this man my my angel. His name was Vito, and he was running alone. And apparently, there was a pack of people that were allowed to race thirty minutes before the elite women. Is this too long to be this telling? This is
1: wonderful. I okay, mean, okay, okay. So we got no
0: kidding. You're like, no, we don't have time for this. Okay, so they, they, I see this man, and he's all alone. And I was like, maybe he's my angel. And so I just slowed to his pace and realized that he had won a contest to start thirty minutes earlier than the elite women. And I was like, "Hello, I'm Alexi. Uh, Doing a to run together for a while." And he was thrilled because he's never run alone, and he was all alone, just like I was all alone. And so we started running together, and it was a much more conservative pace. And I realized that he was trying to run, you know, like a, a really fast time for him, and he was a little bit alone. He was alone, and so I started hyping the crowd. Was this his first um, time
1: running a marathon? Did you say that?
0: No, he's okay. a very like, he die-hard marathoner, but okay. this was the first time running maybe first time running new york and first time certainly running not in a pack of thousands of people as he was used to right and so i became his hype woman which means that at every intersection i would like go a little bit ahead and just i always did a leap through the intersection and then sometimes a spin and then the crowd would (laughs) cheer and he lit up he lit up he was so grateful. And, and so we did the whole marathon as kind of like this Broadway musical. And to be mm. honest, I was extremely nervous about what this meant for me as a person. And was this okay? Because I am meant to be there as an elite athlete. And to me, the, the picture I have of elite athletes is like, you should have this furrowed brow and you should not make eye contact with anyone, but the finish line and you should get there as quickly as you can, and in a straight line. And this was the complete opposite, uh, where I was veering around and just making eye contact with people, and it was so beautiful, but yeah. it was so scary because it was what I really wanted to do, but I didn't know if it would be okay. Um, and it was okay.
1: Yeah, it was okay. And you know what? You're just like when you show up with purpose, in your purpose. What I'm learning, like, is the in the running community, is that we ultimately end up giving electricity and like a go to other people. And that's yeah. what you were able to do out there. So, I mean, I really, that's awesome. That's awesome yeah. so much. Do you keep in touch with Vito?
0: Yes. Okay. Oh, Vito's okay. actually supposed to be, um, oh, he's coming to an event I'm doing Friday. Anyway, he emails me all the time about running advice now. I love it. Buddies. And I think the last thing I'll say about the race, which relates to like the mental health thing, is that in all honesty, um, Growing up, I grew up and I lost my mom young. She took her own life, and she was the more eccentric person in my dad mom duo, is my understanding. I didn't really know her. Um, but I felt like anytime I was like eccentric or a um, in that way growing up, it was scary to my dad and my brother, and even me, because it reminded us of her, mm. right? And, and I think that this expression for myself was making me okay that I have half of my mother in me. And I think that is a, uh, that is who I was in that day. And it felt like such a beautiful way to accept that it's safe to be your most instinctual self.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, our sport needs you. We need more, um, athletes that are able to tell their story, but we also need athletes that are telling stories of other people and their perspectives um, and how they see it that have gone through the sport in so many different ways. And I think having you a part of the running community is absolute, like, we're so lucky to have you. So thank you so much for being here on this podcast with us. And, like, you know, I also want to say, like, you guys, Bravey is so good. If you haven't read the book, you should go get Bravey. You should read it. There's more nuanced pieces to, like, some of what Alexi has shared with us today, but, like, more that you have to dive into. So we really appreciate that. Your films are phenomenal as well, the way that you convey your life story, but then you bring it back to, you know, just kind of, you know, a fictional world, an yeah. imaginative world, but it also conveys a lot of truth in there and that things that people need to hear. Um, and it's captivating and just like you no, like, you know, like, honestly, like, I think there's so much that you bring to the table just physically as you show up. That is like, OK, yeah, like whatever you got going on right here, I want I want a piece of that.
0: Oh, uh, wait, does that appropriate
1: to say? You know what I mean?
0: Yes, no. And I think that... <laughs> I, I love that. So, no, I'll talk you. about you again. Oh, goodness. So, um, okay, I, I think know. the la- the one thing I wanted to say here was that a conversation you and I had, um, besides celebrating our new teammateship, was that, w- and this is what your podcast really represents to me, is like it's women who are supporting each other. Yeah. And a conversation we had walking to dinner was that we hope to intentionally like support each other and support the like the women in our community and also, you know, the people around that, like the kind of the ecosystems mm-hmm. more and more because um why not? Yeah. Like why not? we need to love on each other yeah. more than we have. Yeah. And just know that like it we don't lose by doing that. Right. And the world is an abundant place. It's yeah. not me or you. It's actually better if we all are like ri- rising together. And I, and I mostly wanted to say that because I think that your podcast more than any other podcast, I know women in our industry, our peers listen to this. Mm-hmm. And so I just, mm-hmm. I really oh, wanted you. to say yeah. that I want people to know that I support
1: them. Oh if, my goodness. And it's important for us to tell each other that too. So yeah. um, everybody, you can follow Alexi Poppas Where's the best place to follow you? you know, Instagram. Yeah. It's, it's Alexi. Can you spell it for us? A L E X I P A P P A S like potatoes in Spanish with an extra P. I love it. I think that you've practiced that part right there. Um, yeah, it's important to support, you know, if you love your, your, uh, athletes, you love your, you know, I don't, I don't like the word influencer, but, uh, if you love people of influence, um, same thing for everybody out here. You know, you look to your friend to your right and to your left. You look at your neighbor and you support them. If you know they're doing something really big, it's important to, to you know, really with action show that you support them. So it would be really great if you go over, follow her. It's a big deal to just kind of get her stuff out there and to be able to share it. And you can also share it with everybody that you know. So before we go, I wanted to say that, you know, our podcast is about Better telling stories of women in sport. Like, you know, we talked about the intricacies of our humanness, and it isn't just this linear runner that has this goal from A to B, and it isn't always just about winning. Um, There's more purpose to us, and we want to be able to share those inner pieces of purpose uh, that we want to give to the world. So before we go, any big projects that you're working on or anything that we need to keep eyes on? Yes. Um,
0: This winter... I am writing a young reader's version of Bravey for, like, 8 to 12-year-olds, and it will be different than Bravey. Um, And I'm really honored to have been, like, have that option, whatever it's a... That's a literary term I'm using. Um, And so I'm going to rent this house in Joshua Tree for a couple weeks in January and run in Joshua Tree and write. So I have a writer's retreat planned, and then I have a new movie coming out to be announced, where it will premiere. Uh, And then I'm doing an exciting uh, race this spring that is yet to be announced with my new teammates. So look out for that announcement, because we are coming to run, (laughs) and you'll see what I'm talking about. You got me with that
1: <laughs> I apologize.
0: I like to leave a I little love mystery. Yes, like, I
1: love it. You, I'm not telling them what it no, is. No, you can't tell them what you it is. You can guess. No, we don't need to guess. You just have to wait. And you have to follow her so that you can find out what the announcement's going to be. So, Alexi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and, you. you know, we're just keeping track. Beow-neow. Beow-neow. Beow-neow i ain't is afraid that, of no ghost i think that was not right is that you? I was like, that's not, the, <laughs> that's song not the song intro thank you guys so much for joining us on keeping track you can follow us and listen to this podcast uh you know again if you wanted to or share it with your friends it's on wherever you stream your podcast i think unless there's something new that i don't know about you got to tell me um yeah and i'm alicia montano you can also follow me at alicia montano on everything but really i'm most active on instagram um and I don't know, I'm going to force her to make some creative pieces with me. So probably follow her so that you can see what I'm going to do with her. I also have a book called Feel Good Fitness uh, that's available oh my online. My publisher is Press. If you wanted to look for that there, if you don't, that's fine. I'm not offended. But Christmas is coming. Hanukkah is happening right now. And whatever else you just want to celebrate to celebrate.
0: It's a really good book. I found it on my own, and then you tried to send me one, and I
1: was like, "I already bought it because I need." <laughs> give this it advice. to a friend. Give it to a friend. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, hang around for—we're getting ready to do another podcast, Clean Sport Collective uh, podcast, which is amazing. Um, and then after that, there's going to be a panel. So there's a lot with all of the ultra athletes. So there's a lot to hang around for, where you guys can get to know us a little bit more. So I'm going to give the hand the floor over to. Shanna Burnett, come on down, you've won a cash prize.
2: Keep check, keep check, keep check, keep check. One time one yeah, yeah, yeah. keep checking. valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos!